Uh, we are uh, going to be in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 in that black Bible. It's on page 581. 581. And uh, we are in a series called More Than a Manger. As we move uh, through the season of Advent, uh, we're, we're looking at the manger, the, 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 the birth of Jesus, and we're saying, hey, there's a lot going on there. A lot going on. And so we've been casting uh, back to a prophecy of Isaiah, a messianic prophecy. It says, oh, this is what the Messiah is going to be like. This is what he's going to bring with him when he comes. And so we've been walking through it verse by verse, and we're going to continue that this morning. Here at Flourishing Grace, we know this is the word of God. It's a gift from him. This is God's word right here in your hands. In honor and reverence, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning, if you're able? Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of the Lord. You all can have a seat. Thanks, Josh. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. How are y'all doing today? Good? All right. He was right. This side is doing great. We got coffee in the hub over there, okay, if you guys need some. Um, again, if we haven't met, my name is Benjer, one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace, and uh, I'm glad to be with you this morning. And as we continue on in our series, um, I've been doing what I do here at Flourishing Grace in some capacity or another for uh, probably about 20 years, which, which seems hard to believe sometimes. Um, but one of the things that I've found is, is I've talked to a lot of people, I've met with a lot of people, um, even people who have been around in church, is, is I've discovered that there are a lot of people, even those who have followed Jesus, even those who, who, who know God's word, who, who read about what Jesus has done for them, who would say in some form or another, yeah, I know God has to love me because he's love, right? God is love. I know God has to love me. I'm not sure he likes me. I'm not sure that his posture towards me is one of favor. And I don't mean like likes me like, oh, thinks I'm cool. But I mean his, his posture, his attitude towards you is one of favor and mercy and grace and blessing. Now you would say, okay, I know, I know in some way he has to love me because he loves everybody, It'd be, you know, the whole thing, and, and Jesus died for me, and I get that, but I'm just not sure, I'm not sure how he feels about me. I'm not sure he likes me. And sometimes when, when, when ideas of, of God come up in your mind, they're, they're not ideas of, of a warm heart towards you, but sometimes it's, it's fear, or it's uncertainty, or it's anxiety. Maybe it's because of something that we have done. 
Or maybe it's because of, of, of how we were raised. Maybe you were raised to believe that, that God's love only goes so far and his attitude towards you is only positive if you do something for him. And so we're going to dive a little bit into that today. As Josh mentioned, we are in a series called More Than a Manger. And as we have walked through the first four verses of um, Isaiah 61, we're, we're, this is week three, and finally we get to verse two. Week one, um, Pastor Josh, who was just up here, our pastor of Preaching and Vision, um, talked about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus. And, and this is Jesus and who he is. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He talked about that the first week. Now, here's the really cool thing about that. Some of you already know this. When Jesus went to Nazareth, early on in his mystery, his hometown, and he was invited in the synagogue to stand up and to teach, he chose this text to teach from. And when he sat down, he said, listen, today this word has been fulfilled in your hearing. It says it points towards me. And so when we talk about what, what Isaiah says here in chapter 61, it's about who Jesus is. Last week, John, our, our uh, creative minister, talked about what it looks like that, that he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And today, again, we finally get to verse 2. We get two lines. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So we have two words today. We have two themes, okay? Favor and vengeance. And some of you are like, isn't this supposed to be like a Christmas sermon? Like, a, like what, what is happening here? Like, like, vengeance, do we really have to go into that? Listen, stay with me. We'll get there, and we'll all make sense. But we're going to start with the first line, the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah, speaking the words of God, God speaking through Isaiah, says that the Messiah who came in the manger, is so much more than that. He would come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, to figure out what that means, to understand what that means, we actually have to go backwards to Leviticus 25. Leviticus, 20, Leviticus is a book in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, um, one of the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, known as the Pentateuch. And what this is, is this is God's law, essentially God saying, okay, this is how... The people of Israel, my people that I have chosen, should relate to one another, especially in Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 25, um, God lays out some, some things that he wants the nation of Israel to do and how they're supposed to behave with each, each other and how they're supposed to trust him. So the first thing is this. Um, you've probably heard of the Sabbath day, right? There's, there's six days, and then the seventh one is a Sabbath day, and we're to rest on the Sabbath day. Well, in, in Leviticus 25, God says, okay, here's how it's going to work. There's going to be six years of planting and harvesting. It was an agricultural society. There's going to be six years of planting and harvesting, and on the seventh year, nothing. No planting, no harvesting, no pruning, none of that. The ground is going to lay fallow. Now, I was raised in a city, but I've got enough uh, farmers in my background who, to, to know that that's actually really good for the land. But it wasn't just because it was really good for the land. God wanted the nation of Israel to trust him, to rest in him. And so it wouldn't just be one day a week. It would be one year out of seven that the, the ground would lay there. And they wouldn't harvest. And, and, and God said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of your needs. 
And then on top of that, and this is where we're going today, on top of that, each group of seven, so each, each seven of those groups, so every 49 years, on the 50th year, there was the year of Jubilee. And when Isaiah says that the Messiah would come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that phrase is actually pointing back to this idea of Jubilee. This is what it was. On the 50th year, God said, Israel, this is how it's going to work. Not only is the the ground just going to lay there, you're not going to plant, prune, harvest, do any of that. But on the 50th year, if anybody had, had to sell their land, they fell on hard times and they had to sell their land and make some money and they didn't have it anymore or their father did that or their grandfather did that. In the 50th year, in that 50 year period, all of that land is going back to the original owner or to the original family. Because God said, listen, I gave you this land. This isn't your land. This is, this is my land that is a gift to you for your blessing. So every 50 years, it just, it just goes back. And on top of that, if you had fallen on even harder times and you, you, you went into debt to somebody and you couldn't pay off that debt, and so you were forced to become an indentured servant in order to pay off that debt, on the 50th year, it's done. That debt is gone, you are free, you are released, you are no longer an indentured servant. So this idea of jubilee, this idea of the year of the Lord's favor, is that in the 50th year, if you had sold your land, you didn't have that family land anymore, it went back to the original family. And if you were in debt and you were an indentured servant and you didn't have your freedom and, and, and there was no hope of making that money back, listen, it was forgiven, restored, released. Now as far as we know, As far as we know, Israel never actually followed through on this law. Do you know why? Because it was nuts. I mean, I got mortgage brokers in here. They're like, no, 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 no. That is not how it works. All right, this is not the American way. All right, you got to pay back what you, the nation of Israel is like, there's no way. I got this. I'm not giving it back. As far as we know, they never did it. And it is nuts. It is nuts. Because who on earth? just because it's the year of Jubilee, would forgive that debt, would give back that, it wasn't sell back land, it was give back that land. Who on earth would do that? You wouldn't do it. I don't know if I could do it. But friends, this is the heart of our God. And I believe, this is why I love the word of God. I believe God in his sovereignty put this law here, knowing that the nation of Israel would never fulfill it because eventually it would be fulfilled in Jesus. This release, this freedom, this, this release from this debt, this restoration would eventually be fulfilled in Jesus. And so God, when he speaks through Isaiah in chapter 61, he says, The Messiah, Jesus, would come to proclaim this year of Jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor. It's not a literal 365 days as if like, okay, 365 days are up, favor's gone. No, what he's he's saying is this is the beginning of an age, beginning of an epoch, of of just a, a period of time of the blessing of God through Jesus. This is what the year of the Lord's favor is. And there's three things that that before we move on, I really want to just point out about the year of the Lord's favor and what that means for us. Because when you look at the, the year of Jubilee, yeah, it was about land, it was about debt and restoration, but Isaiah takes it and he takes a megaphone and he says, let me tell you what the Messiah is going to do. We are going to have this release and this restoration spiritually through Jesus and it will be unimaginable blessings that God is going to pour out 
on you. We're going to look at three of those. First of all, release. Right? This idea of release, this idea that, that, that we are released from this debt. And many of us, like if you've been in church, whether you believe this or not, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I understand this idea that Jesus died on the cross and he forgave sins. That is true. But we have been released from so much more than that as well. Here are some of the things that Jesus releases us from. Jesus releases us from sin. Right? In Matthew 1, uh, Matthew records this. Joseph had, this, uh, had Mary as his fiancée, right? And, and, and Mary's visited by an angel, and she becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and Joseph's like, yeah, no, that, that didn't happen. And then an angel visits Joseph, and the angel says this to Joseph. She, meaning Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus releases us from death. When, when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus died, Mary, when Jesus returned for the funeral, um, shows up and says, Jesus, if you were here, I love this honesty. I love this honesty. Jesus, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And this is what Jesus says to Mary. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus releases us from death. Jesus releases us from the law. And not like the moral obligations of the law, like, like there's, there's nothing that we have to do, but releases us from this idea that we have to perform what's written in the law in order to regain our relationship with God. That if we don't do these things, then we don't have a right relationship with God. And Jesus releases us from these things because when Jesus died for us, he gave us his righteousness. He fulfilled the law on our behalf that we might live and have a reconciled relationship with God. This is what uh, Paul says in Colossians about that, chapter 2. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone... I'm sorry, this is uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for, for righteousness to everyone who believes. I mean, some of you, I know there are people in this room who have believed to this point that in order to have a relationship with God, you've got to do A, B, and C. You've got to perform well enough. You've got to do what God says, and if you don't, the cord is pulled. That's not the way it is. Jesus releases us from the debt of our sin. Paul says this in Colossians, finally, chapter 2. And you... Who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus releases us from judgment for our sins. Um, Jesus says this in John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then one more, from the power of Satan. Jesus releases us from the power of Satan. Again, Paul in Colossians chapter 2. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, Satan and his minions, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus releases us from these things. Jesus releases us from these things. Now, here's the thing. I want to pause right here. Here's my concern. And I'm going to talk to those who are followers of Jesus. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, listen, I'm glad you're here. We're just going to have a quick family conversation. I'm glad you're here. You're welcome to listen in. 
I've known so many followers of Jesus who say, yeah, I know, I know. Jesus died for me for forgiveness, for this release, but it stops there. For them, the good news stops there. Like Jesus has so much more for you than that too. That is the year of the Lord's favor. Right? We understand, okay, I understand the grace part, I understand the mercy part, but what we don't understand is that the one in the manger brings us grace, yes, mercy, yes, but he brings us blessing. And not the kind of blessing where, okay, everything is going to work out the way that I want it to. Jesus has riches beyond anything we can imagine. If you can imagine your, your best day, what you think you need, what would be a blessing to you, Jesus looks at that and says, I have so much more for that than you. But sometimes we just stop, stop there and say, okay, Jesus forgives me, that's great. And, and we don't really understand the rest of the good news. So there's two more things I want to pull out. The first one is from Paul in uh, Galatians chapter 4. We actually read it a little bit earlier. Um, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Right? And this phrase, uh, adoption as sons, if you know anything about foreign languages, this is, this is a male plural, and so this is sons and daughters. This is anybody who is in Christ. Friends, let me tell you something. We've got some amazing kids and teenagers here at Flourishing Grace. I love them. I love them. We have two new staff babies this past summer. It's been great. We love to hold them. One came on a retreat with us. Super fun. I love these kids. I love many of your kids. I volunteer in our student ministry. Like, incredible stuff. But do you know what? There's only five kids in this church that I really favor. I like your kids. They're, they're nice, right? They don't... They're great, but there's only, there's only five that I truly favor, and they ain't yours. Their last name is McVeigh. There's only five that know where my snacks are kept in my office. There's only five who know that if there's a Coke Zero in the fridge and it doesn't have a label on it, it's fair game. There's only five who love to come to church with me during the summertime, during the week when I'm working, because they know Josh Gardner, our minister to students, is going to turn on the Switch for them, the Nintendo Switch. There's only five that I favor. You know why? Because they're mine. They're mine. I don't think I truly understood this aspect of who God is until I had kids. And then it became all the more clear to me over the last three years as we added three more kids to our family through adoption when I stood before a judge and I said, I choose this child. She is mine. He is mine. Friends, this is God's posture and attitude towards you. This is what Jesus has for you. We go back to the beginning, and so many people say, I know God has to love me, like just theological love, but I'm not sure he likes me. Friends, if you are in Christ, God chose you. You are his son or daughter. He favors you. He loves you. There's a difference between the kids that I know in this church, in my neighborhood, on the sports teams I coach, there's a difference between those kids and mine. Because I favor my kids. Friends, that is God's posture towards you. 
If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this may be news to you. It may be news to you because uh, perhaps you, you grew up in a home, and, and, and if you're just honest, like this idea of God being a heavenly father has kind of a bad taste in your mouth because of who your parents were. Or maybe you were raised in a religious setting where this idea of God loving you is if you did these things, then God was pleased with you. And if you did these things, then only then would he love you and bring you his favor. But friends, we have favor in God. I want to make this very clear. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Friends, this is God's posture towards you. You are sons and daughters of God. If you're in Christ, this is true of you. The last thing I want to point out in this section is that not only are we sons and daughters, but sometimes I think we have this idea, and maybe this is just me, like I'm an accomplisher type person, like I want to accomplish as many things as I can. I love task lists, but I'm like annoyed by the end of the day if I still have things on my task list done. Like I want to accomplish things. Sometimes I wonder like, and what can I possibly accomplish for God? I mean, he's God, Right? Sometimes I wonder if, if God, 19, uh, when I was 19 years old, sometimes in my mind I have this idea that, that God saved me. He said, Benjamin, I know what you've done the first 19 years of your life. I know what you've messed up, okay? So at this point, yeah, I've saved you. Just sit in that corner until I come back. Like, don't mess anything else up. Yesterday, I was, uh, uh, my son Aiden and I, we were replacing a light switch, and, and I've got an amazing youngest daughter, but if you walk out the room, she will get into whatever it is. And so we've got, I've got to turn the electricity on, turn it off. Kaylee, just, just stand, like touch the table, and don't come to this light switch until it's off, because it's bare and there's these wires here, right? Sometimes I, I wonder, man, is that God's posture towards me? And it's not. It's not. One of the blessings is that God desires to work through you. He gave us his Holy Spirit that he might use you to proclaim his favor. This is what Paul says about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll be up here on the screen. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's incredible. Let me say that again. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Friends, let me just put it this way. God did not save you so you could stand in the corner and say, listen, don't mess anything up. When God saved you from something, he saved you to something. And he gave you a purpose. It is not an accident that you live in Davis County, Utah. It is not an accident that you live in the neighborhood you do. It's not an accident that when your kids signed up for rec basketball, they kept emailing every single week and said, man, we don't have a coach for your team. We don't have a coach for your team. We don't have a coach for your team. And you're like, fine, all right, I'll do it. Because he knows he wants you in the lives of those kids and their parents. It's not an accident that that he has you in the dorm room he has you in. It's not an accident that he has you in the school that he has you in. It's not an accident that you have the friends you do. Friends, God is making his appeal through you. Like, this is blessing. This this is mind-boggling that God would use you. You might say, well, why would God use me? He doesn't have to. Yeah, that's the point. That's why it's his favor. God gives us a front row for what he is doing here in South Davis County, which is incredible, incredible stuff. Not because we are anything, but because he is everything. 
Friends, part of this, this year of the Lord's favor, we have been released, we have been restored, we have been called sons and daughters, that we too, just like Isaiah was God's megaphone, and Jesus stood up and said, today those words that Isaiah said have been fulfilled in your hearing. We are in our neighborhoods, we are in our homes, we are in our schools, that we might proclaim that favor to others. Friends, that is a gift. I mean, to go, to go from, and I'm not sure God likes me, to, Benjamin, I want to use you. I want to do something in your life. I want others to come to know Jesus just because you're there. This is, this is God's favor on you. Now, line two. Remember, we have two lines. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, a couple of things before we jump into the vengeance part. First of all, you guys are sharp people, right? Now, this room's a little bit more awake. I think we've, this side of the room's a little bit more awake, but I think you guys are there. There's the year of the Lord's favor, but it's the, say it with me, day of vengeance of our God. For a couple of reasons. First of all, it's not a literal year. This is, a, this is an age of favor. Like, Jesus is ushering in this age of favor because of who he is. And, and if you're really good students of the Bible, which I know you are, I know you've read ahead, you've read in Luke chapter 4, right? When Jesus stands up, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, and he, re- he reads these lines. He stops at the year of the Lord's favor, and he doesn't go any further. And it's not because Jesus doesn't believe in this vengeance. It's how he understood his ministry. His first advent, his first coming was about the year of the Lord's favor and declaring who God was and this good news and then accomplishing it by dying on the cross, rising again from the dead. The day of vengeance would come in his second coming. When he comes again as as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, as the judge of the universe, that will be the day of vengeance of our God. And that day is a day. It's not a year. It's a day because it is a point in time. And one of our sermon meetings a couple of weeks ago, Josh brought this up as well. It's a year of God's favor and a day of vengeance because there is so much more favor in our God than there is judgment in him and vengeance in him. But still, a lot of us consider this idea of vengeance opposite from favor. Like, okay, so we got the favor of God, but then, man, we've also We've also got the vengeance. Like, they're, they're kind of opposites. But that's not how Isaiah saw it. That's not how this verse goes. All of this is good news. All of this is good news. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Like, those who heard these words from, from Isaiah and said, I am waiting for the Messiah, sent through the next number of centuries before Jesus would come, they would read these words, and that whole line, both of them, were good news. Both of those lines were good news. Why? You know this is true. You can't have a perfectly loving, perfectly merciful, perfectly kind, perfectly gracious, perfectly generous God without him also being perfectly just. And listen, I know that when you get pulled over, I know when you get pulled over, you want that, you, you want that justice to kind of go by the wayside. Well, I didn't really have to follow the rule, and this is why I shouldn't get a ticket. But ultimately, you and I don't want a God who is short on justice. You don't because you've been wronged, you've been hurt. Friends, when Jesus comes again and we stand before him and he judges the earth, 
Friends, that is the day of vengeance, and it is because he is a good and loving God. Here's the thing. This word vengeance in this context, what it means is, is vengeance towards those who have broken God's covenant. So they have sinned against God and sinned against his covenant. They are enemies of God. But do you know who the enemies of God are? It's you and me. We are the enemies of God. This is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were, here it is, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Friends, we were enemies of God. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's justice and his vengeance will be poured out in one of two ways, ultimately. Either it has been poured out on Jesus because he took the wrath that you and I deserved and we are in Christ, or it will be poured out on the day of vengeance when he stands to judge the earth. And, and, and sometimes I, and we, we, we see this as kind of like a downer or opposite from the goodness, but... But when you think about it, God's graciousness and his mercy and his favor, the more we realize how much we don't deserve it, the better his favor is. Grace is often defined as unmerited favor, meaning something we didn't earn. And if we understand what we deserve, the fact that God gives us favor, not just that he forgives us, which is incredible, not just that he gives us new life, which is incredible, but that he gives us his favor, man, that is incredible news. We don't really understand how much that favor means when we understand how much we don't deserve it. Tim Keller, an incredible pastor in New York City who passed away earlier this year, puts it this way. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And some of you, when I talked to the beginning about, man, I know God has to love me, but I'm not sure he likes me. For some of you, you're like, yeah, I know. Let me point out what I've done because of this. Here's what happened in college. Here's what happened in this marriage. Here's what I've been doing at work. And you've got a list of reasons why God shouldn't show you his favor. Friends, God knows. God knows. But in Jesus, he desires to pour out his favor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That he's released and restored you. That you're a son or daughter. And that he wants to use you and pour out his blessings through you. That's incredible news. Um, as we begin to come to a close, 
we're going to have a, a few moments up here in a couple of minutes before we sing our last song. I'm going to invite um, some people on our prayer team up. And, and here's what I want us to do. Maybe you're in the category where you're here, but you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. You're asking questions. You're curious. You're just not there yet. You're just not there yet. Listen, today, maybe today, December 10th, 2023, today is a great day to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. There's no magic words. You just simply have to say yes to him. But if that's you, if you are hearing this and you're realizing, yes, that is me, here's what I want you to do. It's a little bit risky. When we begin this time of prayer, I want you to stand up and I want you to come to one of the people who will be up here up front. And this is all I want you to tell them. I just want you to say to them, I want to accept God's favor in Jesus for the first time. I want to accept God's favor in Jesus for the first time. These are great people. They'll walk you through that. They'll pray with you. They'll celebrate with you. Maybe you're in the camp. Or yeah, you, you know the Bible. You know the answers. You know why Jesus came. You still have that, that check that I really don't know if he favors me. I really don't know his posture towards me. Friends, I invite you as well to come up and receive prayer. And just say this, I want to receive God's favor. And our friends here will pray with you, talk through that with you. They'll minister to you. And maybe you do understand all this. Um, as I grow older and I see who I am a little bit more clearly, I am more and more blown away that God would show his favor on me. That he would love me. Not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of who he is. Friends, I invite you over the next two weeks, especially during this season when so many people are asking really, really good questions about who God is and who Jesus is. To, to live this out. To not only live into the fact that God has, has favored you and he has sent you out, and he has put you in your neighborhood and your schools and your workplaces, but to actually go to that next door neighbor, but to actually go to that friend in the cubicle down the hall, to actually invite that friend of yours to Christmas Eve, this is our blessing in Christ that we get to participate in this. I'm going to pray and invite you to come forward and receive prayer. God, the fact that the God of the universe would send his son Jesus into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Father, I am grateful. God, I pray for my friends in this room. I pray for those who maybe today would say yes to Jesus for the first time. That you would give them the courage to come up to say, I want to accept God's favor for the first time in Jesus.
God, for those who are wounded, those who just have experienced things in this world, they, they love you and they know you. But it's hard to believe that you like them. God, I pray you'd give them courage to come up as well. And would you help us as a family to proclaim that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has come to usher in the year of the Lord's favor, that we are released, that we are restored, that we are adopted as sons and daughters, that we are sent out. We thank you for this and we love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.